traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, the Deputy Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I've got one of NCIA members on the line today, Carlos Perea. He's the CEO and co-founder of Terra Vera, which is an agricultural technology company offering innovative solutions to replace conventional pesticides and increase product safety and consumer confidence within the agriculture industry. Carlos is a serial entrepreneur with a focus on the intersection of technology and social impact. He has an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business and a BS in Mechanical Engineering from the University of New Mexico. Welcome to the show today, Carlos. Bethany, thank you so much for having me. You betcha. So let's get started in getting to know you a little bit better. Uh, let's talk a bit more about your background, what kind of things you've done in the past before moving into the cannabis space. Oh, life before cannabis. I can hardly remember it. But right. uh, yeah, I, I kind of have always been in the interest of how you apply technology to business opportunities. And I guess I kind of became a social impact entrepreneur before I knew what that term was. Uh, and the, the way that came about was in the early 2000s, about 2004, I acquired a company uh, that was technology out of Los Alamos National Laboratories that was focused on water treatment, making water safe for use for drinking and other purposes. Um, that company was named Myox. Um, we grew it into a lot of applications, not just the US military, but into public drinking water systems around the US. We got into 27 different countries around the globe. We got into applications beyond drinking water. Uh, we were on cruise ships, uh, we were in hotels, we were in a number of places, but all the time really making sure water was safe to use. Uh, and as you know, water has a huge amount of impact in 
uh, the health of our society, the health of our environment. And so I did that for a number of years. We sold that company successfully in 2014. And uh, it was kind of a, a happen chance that I got into the cannabis industry at that stage. Yeah, interesting. Water is such a, I mean, to think of water as an industry or a sector, it, it's its just so central to life on this planet and probably probably other planets out there. I guess, I guess Congress will find out before we do, but um, you know, it makes me think of, uh, there's, there's an item you can get for camping, but I think it was originally developed for third world countries who don't have access to clean water, some kind of portable filtration device where you put the dirty water in and the clean water comes out. I, and that's a social impact example, I think, but, but now people who go hiking can, can just bring that with them in case they, they need to drink from the stream or something, but, oh, that's fascinating. So moving into the cannabis industry, um, I mean, in agriculture as well, there's a lot of water usage. Um, plants need water and sunshine and soil, right? So cannabis certainly uses quite a bit of water. Um, how did you move into the cannabis space and, and sort of combine all these things together. Yeah, I, I wish I could actually tell you it was the water and you're correct. We need a lot of water of a certain quality for cannabis and agriculture, but that really wasn't the, the connection. The, the connection really, I think in some ways was um, I spent a lot of time in highly regulated markets, you know, certainly dealing with the EPA and health, health and safety issues. Um, that probably helped prepare me in a previous career for some of the issues we face in cannabis. But the real connection was the, the fact that we were controlling microbials, pathogens, in, in layperson's terms, viruses, bacteria, molds, things that can make us sick in water. Turns out a lot of those same contaminants show up in cannabis, can also make us sick in consuming cannabis, and quite frankly, can help or not help, but can prevent us from being able to sell that product depending on the regulatory um, needs of the state that we're selling in. So that was kind of the, the common denominator. The way this worked, it was in, in 2015, I didn't know much about cannabis. I had a former employee who went into the Oregon market and asked me to help them. And I could tell you in the early days in 2015, um, I did not put this on my LinkedIn. I was pretty cautious and careful uh, who I let know. I was a, a technology entrepreneur, a social impact entrepreneur, and um, I just didn't talk about it a lot. It wasn't that I was uh, ashamed or, or nervous. It just wasn't something I publicized. But I got to see the industry from the ground up. We, we helped set up a vertically integrated operation in the Oregon market as it was transitioning into an adult use market. And I got fascinated by the industry for two fundamental reasons that I, I think might capture a lot of people's attention and might be similar to their story. One was the medicinal benefits of cannabis. I certainly advocate for it today as a recreational uh, substance as well, but medically speaking, I think it's on the cutting edge of how we're gonna treat a lot of the issues we've had that historically we've treated with pharmacological solutions or I call it Pharmageddon. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't sleep, so I get uh, Ambien. Ambien makes me nervous, so I get something for my anxiety. My anxiety causes me to eat, so now I take something for my weight gain. And now I'm taking five and six and eight medications that really aren't addressing any of the root cause. And I really have become a believer and understand now the power of cannabis for medical purposes. And a lot of it is non-intuitive uh, and how it works. And we could also talk about sports performance as another aspect, but I'm fascinated by those aspects of cannabis. And then the second fundamental reason is I'm, I'm fascinated by the business opportunities in that the social impact of 
allowing entrepreneurs who may not have opportunities in other industries, I think they can be successful in cannabis because we don't have a deep history. There isn't momentum. We don't have incumbent players. And so hopefully women and underrepresented minorities can come in the space and really create business opportunities in a way that they can't in other industries, or at least that's my hope. So those are the two things that caught my attention. Um, I wish I would have stayed in Oregon for a little while, but I got drawn into the national picture uh, and I got to run operations as the COO of a publicly traded company that was acquiring assets all over the country. So that gave me a very broad perspective. So I guess I could say I saw cannabis from the 10 foot level and the 10,000 foot level uh, over the last five or six years before I started Terravera. Mm, yeah, a little bit of a holistic view there. That's valuable. And what you were talking about regarding the medical benefits of cannabis, the research here in the U.S. is just slowly getting up to speed. And, and a lot of that has to do with federal barriers to research. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention NCIA just published a new policy paper in early June. It's called The Medicine of Cannabis recommendations for medical professionals and policymakers. Highly recommend everyone head to our website, thecannabisindustry.org slash reports, and go ahead and download that paper. It's, it's got a lot of information in it, so hopefully it can spark a conversation going forward. So anyway, now in the present, in 2021 here, you're CEO and co-founder of Terra Vera. How's, how's that going, and what are what you focused on these days? Um, so it's going really well. Uh, let me just give you the overarching mission of TerraVera because it's, it's not focused on cannabis exclusively. But we, we started the company with the mindset that we wanted to eradicate the use of the toxic pesticides and chemicals that we spray, not just in cannabis, but in agriculture and our food supply. Uh, and that's what we use today to control these molds, mildews, pathogens. But the problem with that is it's not only polluting our environment, it's really poisoning our food supply. And that was why we started TerraVera. It was ironic uh, when I was telling you about Myox, my water treatment company, I went back to that company that we had sold uh, and they were the ones that had taken the technology and adopted it for use in agriculture. And that's really the foundation, the technology foundation of, of what we're doing with TerraVera. Excellent, excellent. So you are serving most of the United States or just certain regions, or are you venturing out beyond our borders? Um, great question. We do have plans to venture out both outside of the U.S. and into other crops besides cannabis. We've started with cannabis um, for a couple of reasons. One, we think some of the health and safety issues in this space are, are just so critically important that we address them or help um, solve these problems that I think are, are plaguing our industry that maybe some consumers and users don't know about. So hopefully we can talk about that. Um, but on a, in a cannabis, as you know, we have to approach this on a state-by-state -state basis. And so today we're in seven states. Um, we're expanded very rapidly, but you'll find us operating successfully with some great stories in California and Florida, uh, Nevada, Arizona, Oregon, and several other states. And that's expanding uh, almost on a weekly basis. You betcha. Every, every year, even, even multiple times throughout the year, more and more states are pushing bills and legislation uh, to legalize, if not for medical, for, for adults over 21. So we are well on our way. I think last count was 17 adult use legal states in the United States there. So we're well on our way. All right, let's take our first commercial break, and then we'll come back and chat more with Carlos from Terra Vera. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with NCIA. We're chatting with Carlos from Terra Vera. And let's dive in by talking about product safety, which you were hinting a bit at uh, before the break. And we all remember back in late 2019 in the before time (laughs) when I think it was mostly unregulated cannabis vaping products, but Nevertheless, some vaping products hit the market with vitamin E acetate in it. We called it the vaping crisis, or I just learned vape gate was also something that it was referred to at the time as well. Um, and, and NCIA also published a policy paper back then about that as well, uh, which can be downloaded as well. But so that's mostly behind us. But what are we still talking about? now in the year 2021 when it comes to cannabis product safety? Well, Bethany, and unfortunately for your listeners, um, we have a lot still to talk about here. And you would think with an industry that has as much regulation as we do in cannabis, and, and boy, if drinking water was tough, cannabis is even harder in terms of regulations. Um, but we have a long, long way to go. And you know, we all remember what happened with the vaping issue where we ended up with uh, additives to the products that you know seemed innocent enough, perhaps uh, maybe some folks knew what they were doing, but once we combusted them, really created some some problematic uh, compounds that we we would like to avoid and cause human human and health safety issues. Well, today in the products that we have, whether it be vapes or um, edibles or flour, which is my focus, um, we still have a lot of the same issues to contend with. And I think what people should understand is that when you grow cannabis, you're kind of fighting two battles to get your product to be compliant. One is you wanna make sure that you don't have any mold or mildews that could cause a safety issue. Um, that in, in other words, when somebody consumes it, it could get them sick. I mean, E. coli would be an obvious example or salmonella. We know those from food, but there's others as well. There's some molds that are relatively safe if you ate them, but if you uh, aspirate them or you vaporize them actually become quite Uh, unsafe, can cause a lot of lung damage. But the other end of the spectrum is if you treat with certain chemicals or compounds, uh, not only do you run the risk of being non-compliant, but you really run the risk of creating some other safety issues. So you're kind of in this uh, tight spot, if you will, as a grower, where you don't want products to have natural pathogens, but you don't want to add stuff to control those that cause other safety issues. Yeah, that is a tough balance for sure. So of course we don't want our cannabis products to harm people because of toxins or pesticides or mold, for example, but you know, particularly because we do see this as a wellness product. But you know, these issues aren't unique to cannabis. These issues are 
across the board in other similar industries, right? Can we talk about that for a sec? Yeah, I mean, I think we can look to other agriculture for some of the, the, the ways they've solved some of these issues. And some apply, some don't. You know, for a food, as I mentioned, there are certain things we can put on our food that we can wash off, certain pesticides that may have other issues, but may not get into your food supply as easily. In cannabis, unfortunately, the nature of the flower and the fact that we combust it oftenly, uh, often as an end product, uh, it does create some issues. I don't know if folks are familiar with the Eagle 20 or microbutanol, but it was a product that was used quite heavily to control these issues um, before it was regulated for the most part. And I think it still is used in some places in perhaps illicit markets. Um, very effective at controlling these issues, but if it's left as residual and it's very difficult to get off the product, off the plant, um, when you vaporize it, when you consume it, you create cyanide gas. So imagine you're using a product that you want to help you sleep or for health and wellness, uh, and you're actually creating cyanide as an intake. Um, hmm. It's just a pretty tragic situation to be in, I, I would think, for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, interesting point for sure. I, I can't, yeah, you can't really wash cannabis, can you? <laughs> kind of wouldn't work out very well. No. So, so I did learn something new about cannabis recently, which happens from time to time, but this was particularly eye-opening for me. Apparently, cannabis flower is being irradiated in certain cases, and there is no way the consumer would know this. Now, I'm not a scientist, but what does irradiating cannabis do, and why should we be concerned about it? Well, you know, it's like any other product that we take into our body. We, we want to make sure it's free of the pathogens, the molds and mildews, et cetera, the viruses and bacteria. And that's what irradiation is meant to do. It's meant to kill those organisms. You know, we call it a final kill step, if you will. And unfortunately, even though it's effective in that process, just like it is in food, uh, there's two, two problems. One, we don't really understand what byproducts we might be making, uh, including are we damaging the product? Are we, um, you know, reducing the terpenes and some of the other things that don't just have flavor benefits, but actually in many cases are what cause the effects, right? It, we, we're learning through science that the terpenes have as much of impact, if not more on, does the cannabis make us feel sleepy or does it make us feel you know, creative or how does it make us feel? Yeah. Terpenes are really important. That, and irradiation certainly doesn't do anything to enhance that. We think it actually harms that. Um, but there's other byproducts that are possible. And the problem with this, and it's just like food, not all states are requiring that their cannabis is labeled. I think um, a good case study right now is Nevada is, is working through that process. Do they want to allow or force rather the, end, the uh, producers to show the end users that the product is irradiated? And I think this is just a part of a general theme. We want consumers to have good information. We want them to know how their product is treated, uh, including irradiation. And then they can make an informed decision. And if they they want to, they, they can buy it. Um, we've seen studies that say that 92% of cannabis users do not want their cannabis irradiated. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. I mean, and, and we don't even know what's going on. I mean, what else are they doing to my cannabis that I should know about, Carlos? Well, unfortunately, that list is long uh, and it's highly varied and it depends on a couple of things. One, the state and what the state will allow. Some states are very aggressive in regulating and testing for not just the pathogens, but the treatment. So if you're in Nevada, if you're in Massachusetts, I'd feel very confident um, with most products that are 
labeled properly and on the shelf of a, a registered dispensary. There are other states, and I won't mention any names, um, <laughs> where they're very lax, unfortunately, in their regulations. And, and people will, unfortunately, because the profit motive and the need to get product out into sale will do things. And I'm not just talking the listed market, I'm talking about licensed dispensaries. And your product may have had um, hydrogen peroxide put on it. It may have had, uh, might have been microwaved. Uh, literally people will do that to get it to pass um, inspection. So a whole host of things. Um, sulfur is very common. It, it is a plant nutrient, but a lot of folks are using it to control some of these pathogens. Uh, depending on how that supply can, can break down into sulfuric acid and some other compounds. So just a, a lot of um, compounds that you don't want in your cannabis. And I think, you know, for anybody who's interested in consuming this in any quantity, just ask good questions, be informed, know how your state's regulations work, um, ask to see the labeling, ask to see the test results, um, be an informed consumer. Right. I mean, and this is where regulations help the consumer rather than harm or, you know, regulations aren't necessarily put in place to make life complicated. But I mean, this is certainly an example of where regulation is is set in place to protect the consumer. So I like to think that the cannabis industry is regulating ourselves from the inside out. We're trying to be smart about it. We're trying to look to other industries so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Obviously, we're not 100%. But would you say we're kind of overall headed in the right direction? Um, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of areas we could do more, uh, for sure. I, I think we do have the opportunity to lead by example, maybe even some other agricultural industries where we are, are self-policing. I think people really do care for the most part about the brand reputation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even in this rapid growing market, folks want to make sure their product is um, coveted as an artisan. A lot of us take a lot of pride in the products that we're producing. And you do see a lot of cultivators who, you know, grow with a lot of pride and their processes reflect that. Yeah. At the same time, there's just the regulations are too inconsistent. Uh, state to state, you have very different regulations, and it's very difficult, as we mentioned, to even know how your product might have been treated. So we, we've got a long ways to go, but I think the, the more the consumer is educated, they will let us know in the industry what they value. And, you know, there's an organic movement. We can't use organic labeling in cannabis for obvious reasons around federal uh, legality. But I think people really want the highest quality product and are willing to pay for it when they know it's not only going to be safe and they're not going to get sick, but they're also going to get a great experience. And uh, we just need to keep pushing in that direction. That, that will lead us in the right place. You betcha. Yeah. Thanks for that insight. Okay. Let's, let's take our last commercial break and then come back and wrap up our chat with Carlos from Terra Vera. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold. 
old, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for Smart Pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. We've been talking with Carlos, the CEO and founder of Terra Vera, a member of NCIA. And we've been talking quite a bit about product safety and and all the various nuances that the cannabis industry and consumers should pay attention to, really. Um, So we're coming out of, gosh, a year and a half. Uh, We're slowly coming out of this pandemic. It was nice that cannabis was deemed an essential business in in most states where it's legal during during the strictest of those uh, lockdowns. But, um, you know, there That was fantastic. I could still get access to cannabis here in Colorado. Um, You know, we had to pre-order online and wait outside in our cars for, you know, but, you know, we made it work. So the cannabis industry was able to keep going. And now we have a new White House administration and a new Congress, the 117th Congress, um, and a little bit of shift of power. So our team in D.C., Michael Correa, Michelle Rutter-Freeberg, Madeline Grant are slowly getting back out there to in-person meetings with members of Congress and their staff. They're starting to go back out to lunches and all the other stuff that you do in D.C. to make friends, to influence Congress, to co-sponsor important legislation like the Moore Act and the Safe Banking Act and uh, those those are some of the big pieces of legislation, not to mention some little ones trickling through as well. How are you feeling about this Congress and maybe even this administration when, as far as it comes to moving cannabis policy forward, Carlos? You know, I'm, I'm super hopeful, but I, I think the proof's in the pudding, so to speak. We want to see results. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned firsthand uh, from doing some lobbying or being lobbied against in previous companies, you know, just how complicated it can be and how some of the agendas that might seem obvious aren't. I know you'd, you'd be really hopeful with the fact that so many states have medical programs, have enjoyed tax benefits, uh, have seen job creation. You know, all of those things are super important in this post-pandemic world, right? Tax revenues have been down. You know, we want to get full employment. Um, Cannabis offers some amazing opportunities. You know, it's not just about uh, bud tenders, it's about scientists, it's about business leaders. Uh, There's tremendous job growth as well as tax revenue. Uh, That being said, I just have not seen, I've seen NCIA have some really solid positions. I've just not seen this translate yet in this Congress into bills that look like they have high probability or more so actually get passed. And so we'll, we'll see, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hope, hoping that we see some real progress. But you know, even just getting the Safe Banking Act and, and being able to open up financial uh, and banking access would be huge, huge step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. The, right now, we're having pretty, pretty good success in the U.S. House of Representatives with this legislation. It's just kind of, it's just kind of hitting a wall once it gets over to the Senate side lately. So, right now. Um, 
is our push to call your your senators. Um, so if you're if you're a listener, particularly if you live in a state uh, where you're not sure where your senator stands on the Safe Banking Act, you can head to our website and use our congressional scorecard. Uh, it's an interactive map. You can click on your state and see where your members of Congress stand on these issues. So then you can give them a call and have a little chit chat with them and talk to them about all the benefits of uh, safe banking for the cannabis industry, which ranges of course to being treated like any other industry in America, but also public safety. Before the pandemic, you know, it was about stacks of cash floating around the community, but now it's also a, a health and safety issue to be able to use digital transactions instead of having to hand over dirty, dirty cash, right? <laughs> so yes, please call your senators. Please encourage them to support the Safe Banking Act. We'll see what we can get done uh, in this Congress um, as, we, as we come out of the COVID crisis. In the meantime, I'd like to remind everyone that we are returning to the show floor, three show floors, in fact, this fall. Uh, September 22nd and 23rd will be in Detroit for the Midwest Cannabis Business Conference. And then in December, we're really busy, December 7th and 8th, we'll be in Baltimore, Maryland for our Eastern Cannabis Business Conference. And then just a few days later, December 15th, 16th, and 17th in San Francisco, at the Moscone Center for our seventh annual Cannabis Business Conference, Business Summit and Expo, I should say. So all that is just right around the corner and we're excited to get back to the Expo floor. Look forward to seeing you and your team at one or all of those conferences, Carlos. And as we're wrapping up here, where can people find out more about you and your company? I'm sure you can go to our website, uh, www.terravera.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-V-E-R-A. -E -E uh, you can certainly find us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Stick. Thanks. Well, appreciate for appreciate you being on the show today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.